0: Well, as always, church, it is good to be with you. If you're new or visiting, my name is Tyler David. I'm a downtown campus pastor, one of the preaching pastors here at The Stone. And I want to say first, thank you so much for sitting in that traffic. I know it was miserable. That's kind of traffic that's hard to follow Jesus in, you know, um, hard to be patient, hard to be kind. And so thank you so much for braving that. Um, and also, too, I want you to know, you guys walked in, Uh, Scott mentioned this, but there is a survey on your chair, and I want you to know the point of that is we have blind spots as a church, we wanna serve you, we wanna pastor and care for you well, but we need you to tell us how to do that. And so if you would sometime, even during my sermon, act like you're taking notes, but fill the survey out, um, you can fill that out for us, put in the offering on the way out, we'd really, really appreciate that. If you have a Bible, open up to John 19, John 19. If you don't have a Bible, don't worry about it, it'll be on the screen behind me throughout the sermon. But John 19 is where we're gonna be. And we're in the fifth week of our series covering the seven sayings of Jesus. Each week we're looking at what Jesus said on the cross as he was hanging on the cross. He made seven statements. And each week we're looking at a different statement to see that what God is doing is, has many facets. That when Jesus is saying things from the cross, he's displaying the different things he's accomplishing, the different attributes about himself. So the first week we learned about God's forgiveness and that he is praying for forgiveness for those who are murdering him. The second week week we saw the power of God and that he's able to save someone in the dying moments of their life. Third week we saw his care for us, that he cared about Mary and making sure someone took care of her once he was gone. And then last week we saw the anguish of Jesus and as the wrath of God poured onto him and as he gave his righteousness to us. We're in the fifth week today as we continue to see what God is doing through the death of Jesus. But the saying of Jesus today is going to give us a look into what drove Jesus, a look into what motivated Jesus, that in his life, in his ministry, and even in his death, what drove Jesus was to fulfill the word of God, to fulfill the word of God, that God had made all these promises in his word in the Old Testament, all these promises, some were large in scope, some were smaller in scope, but all these promises, and it drove Jesus that he wanted all, everyone to know that all those promises were coming true in him. That all the promises God had made were coming true in and through him. And his hope for himself was that God would be faithful to his word to him. That God would actually use him to fulfill all that he said he would do. See, even to the point that on the cross, As he's dying, Jesus says something so that you and I would know that you can trust the word of God. He says something in his dying moments for the purpose that you and I would know that if God has said it in his book, it will happen. He's trustworthy. Every promise he makes comes true. And one thing that I've been learning in my marriage, as I had to love my wife, Lauren, well, I continue to learn there is a necessity to set clear expectations, Setting expectations is huge for my wife. And most of our friction in our marriage happens when I haven't set clear expectations or I have chosen not to meet the expectations we set together. That's typically how it works. And so if you wanted to know, well, how does that manifest itself in your life, Tyler, in your marriage? Very easily, about the time I get home from work, okay? When I, Lauren will ask me, hey, what time are you getting home? And if I don't get home around that time, it affects her. So, there's, so so often I'll walk into the door expecting to be greeted with a husband, how are you? Hope you had a good day. I've prepared everything for you, right? Only to walk in the door and say, hey, how are you doing? She says, you're 30 minutes late. I'm like, all right. And the reason is I told her I would be there 30 minutes earlier. And when I tell her what time I'm getting home, I really mean it. I'm trying my best. But sometimes there's external obstacles that get in the way. Sometimes there are things that I couldn't have seen that got in the way of me fulfilling my word. So sometimes there are meetings that went longer than I planned. Sometimes there are things I got called into on the way out the door. Sometimes there's wrecks on 35 or Mopac. There are things that I couldn't have seen that keep me as much as I may want to, to fulfill my word. So it's external, but sometimes it's internal. Sometimes it's not external, sometimes it's me. See, when Lauren will ask me, will text me, hey, what time are you getting home? I'll just say 5.30, without thinking. Five, six, whatever. I just say a number not thinking about it. So what happens, I get home later because I just didn't think about it. I was thoughtless. And so I get in the way of fulfilling my word that I gave to her. So Lord has learned, okay, Tyler can sometimes be unreliable about his word on what time he's getting home. And all of you have had this. All of you have made promises to people. You said, I'll be here at this time or I'll do this thing for you. And I'll, you make this promise, but yet... No matter how hard you try, you're unable to fulfill your promise. You told them, you can bank on me, you can trust me, but yet something gets in the way. And it's not always that we're jerks who don't care. Sometimes, that's sometimes. But most of the time there are obstacles that get in the way that we can't overcome. And our promises and our word looks like what it really is. It's weak sometimes. It's frail sometimes. But that's not so with God. That's not so with God. There is not one word of his, one promise of his that will not come to fruition. There is nothing that gets in his way. There's no obstacle, external or internal, that gets in his way from keeping his promises. He lacks nothing in character. God never makes a promise flippantly or thoughtlessly. There's nothing lacking in his power. There's nothing that's gonna thwart him from doing it. He lacks nothing in knowledge or wisdom. He sees everything. Nothing will keep God from keeping his promise. And Jesus takes time on the cross, as we're gonna look at the text today, in the midst of all the pain and all that's going on, to say one statement, so that you and I would know without a shadow of a doubt, God will fulfill every promise in his word. Every one. Jesus says it from the cross. Look at John 19. John 19, verse 28 through 29. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. And a jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. See, Jesus had been on the cross for three hours now, for three hours. And the text tells us he knew that all was almost finished. He knew he's about to be done, that suffering for sin is almost over. He knows that, and so knowing that, he says, I thirst. Knowing that, he makes it known that he's thirsty, and so they take a sponge, put it in the jar of sour wine, and put it to his mouth. Now, when you first look at this, it seems really insignificant. It seems really basic, that much like Jesus' statement to Mary, woman, behold your son, it seems it's one of those things Jesus is doing. It seems like he's just thirsty and needed a drink. There's nothing more going on here, that he's been Crucified under the hot Middle Eastern sun, he's thirsty, he's dehydrated, he just needs something to drink. That's all that this is. When you look at what John tells us about what he said, it's much more than that. Look at verse 28 again. Verse 28 again. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst, I thirst. See, John explicitly tells us that the reason he said, I thirst, was to fulfill the Scripture. Now, he probably was thirsty. He was probably thirsty. He probably hadn't had any liquids or water, anything like that, for hours. He's probably thirsty, but that's not why he said it. He said it to fulfill the Scripture. He said it so that we would know all the Old Testament is coming true in him. That all the Bible is, is coming true in him. And this becomes even more prominent, even more clearly seen when you recognize this is not the first time Jesus had an opportunity to get something to drink. This is not the first time he had an opportunity to get something to drink. See, at the beginning of the crucifixion, right before he's crucified, he's offered a drink. And yet he refuses. Don't turn there, but Mark 15, 22 23. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. See, Jesus gets to the place of his execution. He gets offered this wine mixed with myrrh. And what this is, it's a concoction they made to numb the pain. It's a drink they made that helps act like a narcotic to help you get through the crucifixion. And we know from historical documents that Jewish women would make this drink and offer it to men before they were crucified. They would offer it to men before they were crucified because they want this this drink would sometimes knock them out. He'd be unconscious for all of the pain, but Jesus says no. I don't want it. He doesn't want to numb the pain. He doesn't want to be unconscious. He wants to be all there as he pays for our sin. It's incredible to think about, but why? But why does he drink this now? See, at the beginning of the cross, he refuses a drink of wine, but then at the end of the cross, he asks for a drink of wine. Why? Because the wine that he drank from at the end was not the wine with the narcotic. No, this wine was a cheap wine. It's a wine that the soldiers would drink, the common people would drink, and it tasted much like vinegar. It's not good, okay? And he asked for this drink because he wants to fulfill scripture, and we know from the Psalms, he's fulfilling Psalm 69. Psalm 69 says this, I am weary with my crying out. My throat is parched. Verse 21, they gave me poison for food, and a thousand years before, he says, and for my thirst, they gave me sour wine to drink. For my thirst, they gave me sour wine to drink. See, again, the Psalms are on the mind of Jesus. He's dying for our sins, and what's he thinking about? Scripture. What's he meditating on? Scripture. See, he's wanting us to know everything David was talking about is actually about me. All his suffering was pointing to me. I'm the one you've been waiting for. I'm the king to restore the kingdom. He wants us to trust the word of God. See, he continues to add to the reliability and the credibility of the word of God. See, why did he pick this? See, Jesus is hanging there. Why does he pick this small promise in Psalm 69? It seems so small and insignificant. Like, if he didn't do this, if he didn't ask for it to drink this wine, this wouldn't be the reason you didn't believe he was the Messiah. Like this wouldn't be the reason, you wouldn't say, well, I would have believed, but he didn't ask for sour wine to drink like Psalm 69, 21, so can't believe. That's not why you wouldn't believe. So why did he pick something so small, so minor? Here's why, because he wants you to know that every word of God, even the minor ones, will come true. Every word of God is true, even the ones we don't think are. Even the ones that seem small and insignificant will be true. His whole life had been spent fulfilling these scriptures. The beginning of his ministry in the Sermon on the Mount, listen to what he says about them, Matthew five seventeen. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets, the Old Testament. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them to fulfill them the word of god motivated him the word of god directed him the word of god guided him gave him hope and power and strength so you have to remember that jesus when he wrapped on flesh became human like us he shared in our limitations he shared in our likeness so he's 100% god but he's also 100% man and like every other human in this room he needed something from the outside for physical and spiritual nourishment He needed drink for his thirst. He needed water for his thirst. He's a human, he needs that. And he needed the scripture for spiritual nourishment. He needed the word of God to access the power and the presence of his father. You see it again and again throughout his life when he's tempted. He's been fasting for 40 days and Satan comes and tempts him in ways we've all failed. Comes and tempts him. How does Jesus respond to the temptation? Does he say, I'm son of God, this is pretty easy? No, he responds by quoting scripture. He quotes Deuteronomy three separate times. He's talking to the Pharisees and they're arguing with him. He says, you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. He says, if you knew the scriptures, you'd understand me. And last week we saw he's in his greatest moment of agony and he cries out Psalm 22, one. Over and over and over again, what's on the mind and the lips and the heart of Jesus? The Bible, the Bible. I love the way Tim Keller says this. He says, when you pricked Jesus Christ, when you stabbed Jesus Christ, he literally bled scripture. He knew the scripture so well. He thought about the scripture so pervasively. It's so saturated and permeated his whole being and his imagination and his feelings and his will and his knowledge that it shaped him instinctively. The scripture shaped every part of him, his nobility, his courage, his peace, his faith. All happened... Because he was saturated with the scripture. And you and I would think that if there was anyone who didn't need to know their Bible, it was Jesus. If there's anyone who would say, I kind of wrote it, like he didn't need to know it. But yet, what do we see him doing? Knowing the scriptures. If there's anyone who knew what God was like, it was God in the flesh. If there was anyone who knew how not to sin, it was the sinless one. If there was anyone who knew how to love and serve other people, it was the one who came to die for sin. But yet, what does he do? Goes to the scriptures in his darkest moment for strength and purpose and clarity. At every moment of his life, we see him fulfilling and trusting and obeying the word of God. See, the promises of God have been given to us in this book. The word of God has been given to us in this book book. The fact that God brought such a minor promise from Psalm 69 into being tells us we can trust every word of it. Think about how important this must be to Jesus. Like you've heard the Bible sermon before, but think about how important this must be to Jesus. Remember, he's on a cross saying this. He's dying saying this. And he knew the end was almost there. Like he, Remember last week, Holland talked about how for him to breathe For him to speak, he had to push up on the nail through his feet. So words are at a premium for him. And he's almost done. The text tells us that Jesus knew he's almost done. He's about to cross the finish line. But what does he want us to know before he does? What does he want us to know before he goes? He wants us to know that the written word of God is reliable. You can trust it because he knows the same scripture he's fulfilling and quoting and believing will be the same scripture you and I will desperately need to follow him. The same scripture you and I will need when we go through our suffering and the cross as he calls us to carry. See, it's in the promises of God, in the word of God lies the power of God. Follow that train. Follow that logic. It's the promises of God in the word of God. That's where the power of God is. That's where it lies. And yet, we often miss out on the power because we don't know his promises. We miss out on the power Jesus had in the presence of God he had. Why? Because we don't know the promises like he knew them. And then if we know them, we don't use them properly. See, the only sure promises of God are the ones in the book. The only sure ones, the only guaranteed ones, the ones in the book. I want you to notice that Jesus is not upholding some general idea of God's faithfulness. He's not upholding some general concept that God comes through on His promises. See, when Jesus said, I thirst, He didn't say it to fulfill some desire He had, to fulfill some vision or calling He had or intuition He had. Why did He say it? To fulfill the Scripture to fulfill the written word of God. And in a world like we live in, that is saturated with information, that has all sorts of promises of quick fixes, what you and I tend to do, we tend to neglect the Bible. We tend to neglect it because we know it's important, like we know the Bible's important, that if I read it, I'd probably be better for it. But what have we learned in our lives? We've learned, but I'll be fine without it. I'll be fine without it. I'll get to it, but I'll be fine. See, what we've done is we've made things like work, family, and friends, and diet, and exercise, and entertainment. Now, those are the non-negotiables. Those are the things that, if those are off, that's why I'm angry. That's why I'm upset. I'm only angry because I wasn't gluten-free this week. That's why. Well, I didn't get to watch enough TV, or I had too many people in my home, or whatever it is, we look at these things and say, that's why I'm upset, that's why I'm anxious, that's why I have all these issues in my life. And I'll say, sometimes that's the case. Sometimes the case is you need to sleep more. Sometimes that's the case. But I think what's more often the case for us is we are starving for the word of God. We're starving. We're spiritually anemic. We're not taking anything in. And that's why we don't see the power and the presence of God, because we need to hear from God ourselves. And the living God in this room speaks through the Bible. He speaks through his word, that's the authority. So if you need rest, you need peace, you need grace, he speaks it through his word. He speaks rest to the weary souls in this room through his word. He speaks peace to anxious hearts through his word strength to feeble hands, truth to doubting minds, and grace and love to sinful people through his word. So we need this word to saturate us, to define us. Why? Because it saturated and defined Jesus. And in his dying moments, we see him clinging and fulfilling the word of God. But not only does the word of God give you access to his power and his presence, but also it keeps you from error. It keeps you from error. See, when you don't know what God has said, when you don't know what his promises are, it's very easy to believe things God didn't promise. When you don't know what God has actually said in his word, it's easy to begin believing things that God never promised. See, you need to hear this very clearly, that God has only promised the things in this book. He's only guaranteed the things in the scriptures. Someone may tell you that God promised them this or that, God promised this or that, but if it's not in the book, do not bank your life on it. Do not bank your life on it if it's not in the book. God's already given us amazing promises, eternal promises that will take forever to enjoy and delight in and relish in, take forever. He's already given us everything we need for life and godliness. So do not be deceived into banking on something and clinging to something that God has not promised in his word. Here's the deal, he may, he may and sometimes he will, do things that coincide with your desires, that coincide with your prayers and coincide with your plans. He may and sometimes he will do that, but you have to know he's not obligated to. He's obligated and will fulfill every word and promise he's spoken in the book. But we have to bank on those. You can't have access to the power of God the way Jesus did if you don't know the promises. But then once you know them, you have to use them properly. See, Jesus didn't just know the word of God. It was fueling his faithfulness and obedience. See, the word of God wasn't just information that he intellectually understood. It was truth that shaped him and gripped him that he was clinging to. See, God has given you and I amazing promises, not so we would just know them and do nothing. Not so that we would just memorize them and do nothing. Not just so we could regurgitate them and do nothing. No, he's given them to us so that even when we don't want to obey him, we would believe, no, he's faithful. I'm gonna stay faithful. No, he's promised he will come through. That's why he's given his promises. My little girl, Elle, is turning three in April. And since she was little, since she can understand I've been teaching her these kind of basic truths about God and about what God has done in her and doing in her and in me so she can understand our relationship. So for the past three years, I've been saying kind of the same things over and over again in different ways so she can understand. Kind of the general kind of thought is this. I tell her all the time that God loves her most. Elle, who loves you most? God loves you most. And God's in control of everything. And God gave you a good daddy. And your daddy loves you and you can trust me. I'll take care of you. I tell her those things again and again and again and again in various forms and fashions. And so when she's struggling to obey me, struggling to listen to what I'm saying for her to do, I don't talk about the obedience typically. I talk about her trusting me. I said, "El, can you trust daddy? Can you trust me? Can you trust God? He's given you a good daddy to care for you. And I'm doing this for her because I want her to know what following Jesus is like, is that Jesus tells you, hey, guys, this is what God is like. This is what he's like. You can trust him, he's gonna come through, I died for you, he loves you, he's forgiven you, but I want you to obey in this way. I know it's hard, I know it's difficult, but obey me in this way. See, Jesus calls this trust we have into action. And so I'm doing this with Elle, so she can learn what it means to follow Jesus. Now, that's the theory, that's the plan, but often real life is very different than what we were planning for. So I was taking Lauren and Elle to breakfast one morning, and the weather was perfect. Like this last week, like it was 70 and, and beautiful in the morning. So I was like, man, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna go on the patio of the restaurant. It's awesome, I wanna enjoy the weather. The weather. And there's plenty of room for Elle to run around, so it be perfect for her as well. And so I make the pronouncement to the family, we will be sitting outside. And then my daughter Elle makes it very clear she wants to sit inside, very clear. And I said, no, we're gonna sit outside, you can trust me. And then she loses it in public, always the best, right? She loses it. She's weeping and crying and saying, she wants to sit inside, she's angry. And before I can stoop down to my knee to talk to her, my wife Lauren stops her and says, Elle, you have a good daddy who loves you and makes decisions for our family. You can trust him. I'm like, that's my girl, pound it. That's what I'm talking about. (laughs) Get my back, get my back. And and Lauren says that to Elle, and you would think because I'm training my daughter so well, I'm pastoring her so well that when she heard that from, my, from her mom, she goes, it's a good word, mom, I submit. Like, you think that's what she would say. <laughs> it's a good word, preach it. You, know, like you thought that's what she would say. But let's remember, she's my daughter, okay? And so once Lauren tells her, hey, God's giving you a good daddy that can make decisions for this family, you can trust him, without missing a beat, she says, well, he can make decisions inside, I said, oh, we're definitely sitting outside now. (laughs) Definitely. He can make decisions inside. We are learning. We are learning. Um, What's the point of that story? That my daughter's a lot like me, one. But two, she's learning that the reason I make these promises, the reason I tell her, you can trust me. God loves you. He gave you a good daddy. You can trust me reason I'm telling her that is to help her obey in those moments. In those moments where it doesn't feel like I know what I'm doing, I'm helping her to learn, no, you can trust me. You can trust me. See, it's not hard for her to obey me when she wants to do what I'm asking her to do. It's not hard when she wants to do and loves what I'm asking her to do. But she must truly trust me when I'm asking her to do something that part of her doesn't want to do when I'm asking her to do something that part of her says no, no. And some of my proudest moments of my daughter is when she will obey even when parts of her don't want to. Like even when she's terrified, even when she's scared and she's thinking, I don't think he knows what he's doing but I'll trust him and I'll obey anyways. Can I tell you, those are my proudest moments because that took actual trust. That took actual care and trust in me. See, from her point of view in those moments, in those moments, from her point of view, Daddy doesn't know what he's doing. From her point of view, Daddy's asking too much, too costly, I can't do it. It's in those moments, part of her has to say, but I've seen him be faithful, and I can trust him. Maybe not 100%, but I'm gonna go anyway. And can I tell you, when that happens, I usually, my heart heart fills with joy and I kind of tear up when when I'm hugging her and she's kind of crying and upset, but she obeyed me anyway. I love those moments. So I'm not looking for obedience that has nothing in her that doesn't want to do it. That's impossible in this life. I just want her to trust me even when she's scared. And can I tell you, church, that's what God's promises are meant to do. They're meant to tell you, remind you, I know it feels hard, I know you can't see what he's asking, but remember what he said. He's your daddy. He loves you. He's good. He forgave you. He promises. This is not punishment. He'll work everything for your good. He makes promise after promise. Why? So in those moments when you're crying and when you're scared and you're angry and nothing in you thinks he could have any good in mind for you, you'd say, I'm gonna obey anyway. So many of you feel so bad when you obey God and there's any part of you that doesn't want to. Can I tell you that warms your father's heart, why? Because you're learning to trust him. You're learning to walk with him. I don't get angry at Elle because she wasn't 100% all the way in. No, I'm so happy that she would overcome those things and trust me anyways. That's what God's like with us. When, When you're feeling like he's forgotten me, when you're feeling like he's not listening, when you're feeling like this must be punishment for past sins, when you're thinking all of these lies, the promises of God come in and say, those are all wrong. And even if you don't feel it, you can trust me. He gave them to you so you would obey even when you didn't want to, even when it was hard. See, Jesus purchased every promise for you. So you could know whether you feel it or not, the promises of God are as sure as the resurrection of Jesus. Look at 2 Corinthians 1.20. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. Some of you are going through extremely difficult seasons. Some of you in this room are going through suffering and pain that you don't know how to get past. And it's in those moments, in these seasons that all of us will go through when you have to cling to the promises of God because you know if you're in that season, it doesn't feel like you have much faith left. If you're in that season, you have to memorize these promises Pray these promises, sing these promises, even confess how you don't believe these promises. You have to remember Matthew twenty eight twenty that Jesus promised that he would be with you always. He hasn't gone anywhere. He'll be with you always. He promised. Romans eight twenty eight that he'll work out everything for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. Your suffering will not be wasted. Church, hear that. Nothing will go to waste. This isn't pointless. He promised. He promised. That's that's all you'll have to cling to in those dark moments is the word of God. But not just simply for the large moments, but also for the small ones. Also for the, the daily and weekly patterns of our lives where we need to trust his promises. Like when you don't want to read the Bible and you don't want to pray You don't want to love your Christian brothers and sisters. You don't want to forgive your wife or your husband. You don't want to serve this person and be patient with them. You don't want to share the gospel with your neighbor. You don't want to do it. And we are too easily deceived into thinking that if we don't want to do it, then we shouldn't. That's not true. His promises are here for us to say, even if everything in me thinks he's wrong, I'm wrong, he promised. He promised. How many times... How many times have you and I, who, when we didn't want to obey, if we actually did obey, how many times on the back end of that is there joy and peace and love? Why? Because God said at his right hand are pleasures forevermore, and that if we abide in his word, he's going to lead us into his joy. I can't tell you how many times, especially with praying, how many times for me I start praying and I do not want to do it. How often I start praying and I'm like, I would rather do anything I should do. Just something, I think. You know, like, all of a sudden you're like, that fan sure is dirty. Like, you start thinking these things. But I labor in it, I keep praying, and on the back end of the prayer, as I say amen, I'm so happy that I did it. Why? Because God promised, he promised that he's a good father and he gives good gifts to those who ask. He promised. How many of you are in seasons where you are justifying disobedience because you don't feel like doing it? You're justifying particular sins and the the defense is, it's too hard. I get it. I totally get it. Jesus got it. But the only way you're gonna stay faithful and not be deceived by that sin is by going to his promises. No, he promised to come through. Jesus promised that his way was the way to eternal life. I'm gonna go that way even if it doesn't feel good, knowing he'll come through knowing he'll come through. See, at the end of his suffering, Jesus says, I thirst, because he thought it was so important. He's dying, and he thinks it's so important that you and I know God's word can be trusted. Every promise, the Old and New Testament will come true, because in this life, while there's sin in this world, you and I are gonna have seasons and circumstances and hearts that make it feel like everything he said is wrong. In those moments, remember why God gave you his word so you would stay faithful. You stay faithful, but the great news for us, church, as people who are often faithless, the great news for us is the promises of God don't depend on us, they depend on Jesus. He bought them, he purchased them, they will happen. They will. We just get to enjoy them a little bit more when we trust them. So I I wanna close by reading to you from Peter, because there was a church that Peter was writing to who felt like we feel. A church who was wondering, when is he gonna show up? We've been waiting and trying to obey, but I'm about to roll if he doesn't show up. I want you to listen to what Peter says to them in 2 Peter 3. He says, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. If you're in this room and it feels like he's taking forever to come through, no, he's not being slow. This is part of his plan. Stay faithful. Look at verse 14. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, since you're waiting, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. I know you're getting tired. Church, I know you're getting tired. I know living in community is getting old. I know your spouse is wearing you down. I know that reading the Bible seems futile. I know how it feels. Jesus knew how it felt, and what he wants us to know is stay faithful. What does Peter say? He's going to come through. I promise you, be diligent. Be diligent. How does he end? Verse 18, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. You need to know that when you see Jesus face to face, you will see that every promise came true. Every word came true. That it's only a matter of time before everyone who has ever existed sees God came through on his word. And as the church, we get the opportunity and the privilege to bank on him, to trust in him, and to get to see him come through like he said he would. Let's pray. Father, we wanna say thank you for your word. God, without it, we would be lost. Without it, we would know nothing of you. But God, we have to be honest that we neglect it so regularly, so often we have a hard time believing it, so often it feels impossible, it feels like you've forgotten us, it feels like you've left us, but how would you give us faith to believe that you will come through? Or give us faith that if we put our hope and our trust in you, that you are a solid rock for us. You'll never be shaken, Jesus. You'll always be faithful even when we're faithless. God, would you make us a church that this city would begin to look at and see that even in our darkest moments, we cling to your word. That our whole lives are spent banking on all of your promises. Because God, we know that one day when we see you face to face, and Jesus, you come back and you make all things new. God, we know in that day, it'll become clear to every single Human, that God is faithful, that God's word was true, and everything he said came to pass. Oh God, give us faith to believe, even we don't want to. God, give us a song to sing, even we don't want to. God, and give us a Jesus who loves us, even we don't want to. I thank you for being better than all we could ask or imagine. We pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, amen.